Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for this morning will be taken from the parable we heard from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin this morning with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day that you have called us into your kingdom by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray today that we would learn what it means to stand firm in this faith, resisting the temptation to ever reject your word. Now grant us this morning your Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is a threat. Now, that's probably not exactly how you would describe Jesus if you were to meet somebody on the street and they were to ask you how you would describe Jesus. My guess is you would not talk about Jesus as someone who is rather threatening. But if you were in Jerusalem in the first century, uh, roughly 2,000 years ago, and someone had asked one of the religious leaders how they would describe Jesus, most certainly they would have described him as a threat. Now, what do you do when somebody threatens you? Well, if you consider them to be stronger than yourself, if you consider yourself to be weaker than them, uh, you run and you hide and you try to protect yourself from that threat. However, if you consider yourself to be more powerful than the person who is threatening you, then what you do is you remove the threat. You attack the threat. You eliminate the threat. And if the threat is threatening enough, you make an example of that threat so that everyone else will think twice before they come after you. And that's exactly where we find the religious leaders today, uh, this morning, as we prepare to hear this parable that Jesus has for us. They see Jesus as a threat. Now this little parable that Jesus preaches today comes to us uh, just a little bit after Palm Sunday when Jesus is in Jerusalem making his way to the cross where he will die for your sins and for my sins. Where he's making his way to the cross to die for the sins of the world and of course on Easter morning to rise again. And it's very significant for us today to notice where Jesus is as he does this. As I just mentioned, he is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is that chief city which God had given to his people in the Old Testament. This was sort of his location of operation in the Old Testament. It was the capital city of his king. He had given this land to his beloved Israelites as a gift. All of Israel was a gift. It was the promised land. And Jerusalem was the chief city in that land. Israel, because of this marvelous gift, because they were chosen by God and given this wonderful blessing, was to therefore be considered a city on a hill, a shining light of God's love and glory into the world, so that the nations would come and worship the one true God. Often in the Old Testament, Israel and Jerusalem are described as a vineyard planted by God to produce the fruit of justice and righteousness for all the world to see and to enjoy. He had given this wonderful land to Israel in the same way a master might give his land to tenants so that they might cultivate the vineyard and work it. It was a gift to be there. It was a blessing to be there. And it was the place God had given to his people as a free gift for them to live under his mercy and his love. 
And now as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem uh, that, that uh, holy week, the master has sent his son to see how fruit production is going. And as he arrives, he is seen as a threat by the tenants who are supposed to be looking after the vineyard. Jesus' arrival is not good news for those who have not trusted in God nor produced the fruit uh, the, in the land that the Father has desired. So that instead of bringing hope, the hope of God to the world, instead of being examples of justice and righteousness, these tenants have time and again rejected the God who have given them this land. And not only do they reject this God and his word when Jesus arrives, this has been a pattern of theirs throughout the history of their life in the land. In fact, the parable of the workers in the vineyard that Jesus tells us today, uh, this parable is sort of a, a history of Israel and their relation to the word of God. He gives us here in parabolic form the historical way the Israelites have treated God's word when he has sent it to them. He has, throughout their history, sent other men to check on the fruits to see how things are going. We call these men the prophets. And these prophets came, and they were just as much of a threat to Israel as Jesus was, it would seem. These prophets threatened the way of life of the tenants. They threatened the way the tenants ran the vineyard. The tenants had built a life of luxury and control. To be sure, the weak and the poor suffered and were enslaved, while the rich got richer. Injustice ruled the vineyard. So that when the prophets came and found the vineyard working against the master's will, they had to proclaim judgment and condemnation. And for this, they were rejected. Jesus describes the treatment of the prophet this way today. Some were beaten. Some were beaten and shamed. Some were wounded and cast out. And we know from the tradition of Israel that this is exactly what went down. Isaiah, the great prophet, whom we love to read at Christmas time. We love Isaiah. Uh, tradition has it that he was sawn in half for his preaching. Jesus tells us today about the prophet Zechariah, who was murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Amos was martyred. Jeremiah was persecuted constantly. And it went the same way again and again all the way up to John the Baptist who was beheaded for his preaching. Now, to a certain extent, this shouldn't surprise us entirely because the church, those, that is, those who bring the word of God into this world should expect to receive persecution and suffering for preaching such a word in the world because the word that we proclaim is counter to what the world desires. The world desires power. The world desires control to live in sin and pride. The world doesn't want to live in a world that is created for them. They want to be their own creators. They want to be their own gods. They do not want to submit to the true God and receive a kingdom. For the world desires control, not mercy. It is not satisfied with God's gifts, nor is it faithful to his commands. So that when God sends his word into the world to proclaim judgment on such sinfulness and to offer hope and forgiveness and salvation, we should expect the world to reject such a message. But here's the problem in the reading today. The people the prophets were sent to were not the world out there, but rather, we might say it this way, they were the Old Testament church. 
These were the people who should not only have known the word of God, they should have loved the word of God, and they should have loved the will of God. For he had given them all these wonderful gifts, and yet they had let the the passions and the desires of the world into the church so that they loved their power and rejected their God, killing his prophets. What we see here is a picture of the Old Testament church removing and rejecting the word of God. And so how does God deal with this? Well, he decides to send his son. In a certain sense, you might say the father yet had mercy on them and decided to send one more messenger to the vineyard. He sends his son saying this, what shall I do? I know I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. And so Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, the city of David, on a mission from his father. And what does he find when he gets there? The culminating and final rejection of the word of God by these wicked tenants. They see Jesus and say, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. For you see, they saw Jesus as a threat. And they had their power, they had their authority, they were working to keep their way of life according to their laws and their views. And they knew what to do when the system was threatened. You remove the threat. And now with this word of God removed, they can live their lives, eat, drink, and be merry until they die. Remove the threat. Get rid of this Jesus, this strange, influential, and threatening son and live on our own terms in our own way. That was their attitude. And so Jesus says, what do you think is going to come of this? Do you think it's going to end well for the tenants? Do you think that the owner who has graciously given them this land, who has graciously provided them with everything, who has graciously sent messengers time and again to call them to repent and believe the good news, will abide by the fact that they are now rejecting his son? For here is God's Son in the flesh, come to the promised land, to this gift. And those, and those who receive this land love the land more than they love the Son. And so they kill him. And so what's the master to do? Jesus says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So perhaps the religious leaders, you see, those tenants were not wrong to be threatened by Jesus. He was a threat to them. He was a threat to their religion. He was the end of their power. He was the end of their time in the vineyard. Not because he had to be, but because they rejected him. And what is more, in a sort of shocking twist, this one they rejected, in this rejection, well, this is the very one God will build his kingdom upon. And upon this rejection, God will build his kingdom in this world. What they intended for evil, God has used for good. For after all, mysteriously, miraculously, and marvelously, the move they make to remove their threat will be the very foundation of God's kingdom. As the psalmist writes and Jesus quotes, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it is in this rejecting, this crucifying of Jesus, 
where Jesus will actually forgive the sins of the world, where Jesus will begin his reign as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The stone that was rejected is now the cornerstone and foundation of forgiveness, life, and salvation for all who believe. And so, that Jesus comes to you today and he comes to you today with some marvelous news that you are the new tenant. You are the ones Jesus has brought into his vineyard. And now his word comes to you once again and it finds you in this vineyard. And what will it find when it approaches you? Will it find a life of perfection and hope and holiness? Or will it discover sin and struggle? Will it discover guilt and shame? You see, the reality is, even we, the new tenants, at times struggle and fight with our own sins. Sometimes we embrace our own sins, so that sometimes for us it would seem that Jesus can feel even like a threat. And he is. He is a threat to your sinful way of life. He is a threat to your sinful pursuits. And so what will you do when threatened by this Jesus, when he confronts you in your sin, will you follow the way of the wicked tenants? Will you reject his word for a life that is lived by your own rules? Will you demand a church that gives you what you want to hear instead of what God has to say? Will you take the gifts that God has provided for you, rip them from his hands, and use them for your own deadly purposes? Would you remove Jesus from your church and your life simply to feel more comfortable, happy, and entertained? I pray not. For you see, Jesus has done something quite marvelous for you. He has brought you into his kingdom. You are the very people the Father has given the vineyard to. The Lord Jesus Christ, so rejected and despised when he went to Jerusalem and was rejected by the former tenants, he, was, he did so for you. He died for you so that your sins would be forgiven. And because your sins are forgiven, you are welcome in this vineyard. You live your life in this vineyard full of hope because of mercy. Their rejection has resulted in your salvation for the crucified has given himself for you. So rejoice in this vineyard. Pursue righteousness and justice. Produce the fruit of the kingdom. For the stone that the builders rejected has welcomed you into this vineyard and has become the chief cornerstone for you. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, forgive us for when we reject your word. Forgive us for when we pursue the desires of our flesh and this world more than we listen to what you have to say. Forgive us for our lack of repentance and for not trusting the new, good news. And teach us now, O Lord, by the power of your Spirit to live in this vineyard and produce fruit that is pleasing to you and a blessing to this world. We thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.